If no sports are on, will a sports podcast even be heard? We're going to figure that out and find that out this week on Iceman and Coach. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Iceman and Coach. This is the Iceman, Matt Freights, and that is the coach, Brad Powell. Brad, how you doing, buddy? Welcome to the show. Iceman, doing great. Uh, glad to be back at it this week. Uh, we are closing in, getting closer and closer to football season, which is exciting. Other than that, man, it, it's kind of a lull. My life is in a very manageable place at the moment, it seems. So it, it uh, I feel like it frees my mind up a little bit to start thinking about the possibilities for uh, where we're headed this fall. As soon as you say that as a parent is when everything gets thrown into chaos. So now that you have said that and we have it recorded, it's live, it's going to be out on the airspace, your life is going to be in shambles now. So you have given yourself the announcer's curse, basically. That's okay, man. Uh, it's gonna, it, every, it's all cyclical, right? So it's going to work its way back around eventually. So it might as well come on with it and get it over with so I can get back into the cycle of, uh, of happiness. What do they say? What goes around comes around. So you're in this low period. Sports is in this low period. And that's why I joked at the top, like if there are no sports that people are really watching. Now, there is sports that people are watching. There's actually a lot of it. But is a sports podcast even necessary or are we even heard? And I would say that we are so far because somehow in this period where a vast majority of sports fans really aren't paying attention, they're starting to percolate now because you're hearing some things out of NFL camps or whatever. There really hasn't been a lot of news and sports news or whatever, but we've somehow managed to continue to sail on here. And I'm really excited about it. And I'm excited about that horizon. Yeah, it is exciting. And just especially knowing what's coming up and what the potential is for us to have a lot of fun. Uh, we're going to get a chance to meet some, uh, meet and interact with some new people. And and just the, the growth potential is there too. Um, I can't wait. And would we exist without sports? Well, like you said, we we sort of have here recently. I think we've shown we're well-versed enough. We could certainly find something to talk about. Totally agree. And let me ask you a question. Last week, would you consider that for us anyway? Would you would you consider that a heavy episode for us? Maybe a little, but I, I don't know. Maybe in total it was heavier. But I feel like we've addressed several heavier topics in other episodes. Um, you know, I'm thinking back to, you know, far back is the Deshaun Watson situation. I know there have been others along the way where we've gotten into more personal opinion on how the world should operate as opposed to sports stories. Maybe heavy in total because it, it, it did seem to kind of carry through the duration of the episode, but I don't feel like it's uh, out of our wheelhouse. No, I don't think that it is either. But thinking about that, we have covered a lot of heavy topics. You're right about that. So I think that for our listeners, because we're going to be getting into a lot of heavy content as football season comes around, I think we should keep it light today. So I want to talk about something that is in the news, and it's not really sports related. However, I think it does relate to something sports related. You know how whenever these contract discussions come up where you hear rumors about what guys are going to sign for, the amount of money that they're throwing around is ridiculous. Remember the billion dollars that Messi was offered to go to Saudi Arabia? Yes, I do. My boy, Messi, of course. Yes, of course, your boy, your big soccer fan, as we all know. Well, normally we can't really fathom that. And I think we always say, how much money do you need? But all of a sudden, the lottery is getting or an inching closer to that $1 billion range. And that's one of the ways in which we kind of can relate to it, because I would have to assume that many people are going out there buying their ticket, hoping, praying that this is going to be it for them. 
And I just wanted to start the show off talking about that and ask you, what would you do if you won the lottery? Oh, man. It's one of those things I I've, I think about sort of in passing. The only time I ever, I never buy lottery tickets until it gets into like these sort of situations, which, I mean, come on, let's be honest. What's the difference between 600 million and a, a billion to a guy like me? I mean, I know the literal difference is vast, but like to someone like you or I, like, I mean, whatever, it, it would change our lives uh, significantly either way. So kind of funny that I only choose to throw my hat in the ring when it is this astronomical number. But it's like, it's almost just for fun because, you know, I, I kind of keep myself removed from it a little bit or my mind removed from it by assuming that it's just never going to happen. But it is fun to kind of kick around different ideas as far as what you might do. And, you know, of course, for me right away is all like the the traditional stuff. I think you hear most people say I would make sure that obviously my immediate family and like my parents and everybody, I would I would make sure they're all squared away for for life. Um, you know, put money back to preserve life in the future, you know, all those responsible things. But gosh, the possibilities beyond that in terms of the fun you could have. I mean, I would travel a lot. I love traveling. I think that, uh, I mean, gosh, we could build the most wonderful Iceman and Coach studio. You know, we could, uh, we could probably own a jet to fly us both to and from it from our current residences. Uh, as we as we please. So maybe I'd go into something like that. Uh, possibly, I can tell you what, I'd quit my job and probably get into just coaching. I would just coach like high school football or something like that. I don't know. I mean, I, I would definitely spend my time doing things I enjoy. I can tell you that. I think that most people, no matter where you are in life, if you're listening or watching to this and you're rich, poor, or somewhere in the middle, probably like us, you think about this and it is life-changing money. I mean, $600 million is life-changing money. Now, the fundamental question I think a lot of people argue over is which would you do? Would you take payments through the rest of your life or would you take that lump sum? I know this is an unpopular opinion. I'm taking the lump sum 100% of the time. No, absolutely. Um, because for a number of reasons. One, you could earn more investing it on your own uh, than you're going to gain in the annuity over a long term if you take the payouts. Two, what happens if one day the lottery just goes defunct? And doesn't exist anymore. Like, are are you ever going to see? You know, let's say you get one payment, two payments, and then all of a sudden the lottery goes bankrupt. And you know, are you ever going to see your money? And I get the chances of that happening are slim, but I think it's something to consider. The other thing is, from what I get, if you if you were to pass away, the payments just end. So I think by taking the lump sum up front, you can do things that protect that money. So it, uh, you put it in a trust or whatever, so it goes to your family. But uh, and, and maybe there's a way you could probably finagle that with. Annuity, but I think that there's just too much risk. There's too much risk, not enough reward, and the annuity setup than there is in just taking the lump sum up front. People seem to miss that you get that lump sum and you can then do with it what you please, and that's after taxes. You get quite a bit. I think it's like what sixty percent, fifty five percent, and at the numbers we're talking about, let's just call it a billion. Everybody could use five hundred million dollars. Hard stop. There's no way right. that somebody's gonna say no. I need more. And I think that people, for some reason, miss the point that you don't get like a monthly payment. I think you get paid like once a year. It's something like that. It's not as often as you think. And then you've got to manage that money the rest of the year. It's not like you're getting a million dollars up front. You're not getting nearly as much as you think. And I would rather have the responsibility to be like, all right, how am I going to divvy up this money? How am I going to invest it? How am I going to keep it safe? And then after that, I can do whatever I want. But you did mention about in the event of death, do you know that most people who win the lottery, these large, large sums, they end up dying within like five years of winning the lottery. It's some crazy statistic. And it's because a lot of the people that are playing the lottery, most of them are hoping to win because they need it. And I don't mean to say that, that we don't need it, but 
usually people that are playing the lottery consistently, it's because they're hoping to get that golden ticket to get out of whatever situation that they're in. And it would significantly change their lives to the point of, I don't even think you and I could really fathom it. Like, I think you and I would have a lot of fun and we would do all the things that we would like to do without having to worry, making sure our kids are set up, making sure our parents are set up, right? Hey, you want a house, you want a house, cool, right? And then after that, we would do the responsible thing, but also have a lot of fun with it. Some people need this. It's almost like in the NFL, when a guy gets drafted, his family's coming around because he's coming from a situation where they don't have anything. And I think that's the dangerous part because your family, man, they would be knocking down people's doors to try to get that money. And that's probably where some of these murders come from. Yeah, that's what I was thinking when you said a lot of them die within the first five years. It's like, of what causes, right? And, you know, I've actually read a little bit of stuff. I saw an article recently, you know, probably with how high these jackpots are getting that talked about it. Like it said, like, if you win the lottery, follow these eight steps or whatever. And one of them was like, tell nobody. You know, they say that you need to set up a trust so that the trust can claim the ticket so you can claim it anonymously. But certain states don't allow that don't allow you to claim it anonymously anyways. But yeah, it's like you hear stories of people coming out of the woodwork demanding money or with their sob story or whatever to try to make you, uh, guilt you into giving them money for whatever reason. And and this might piss some people off, but you're 100% right when you talk about the types of people who are playing the lottery most often. I mean, I see them at the local gas station regularly and, and they're, I mean, whatever, call me a jerk for profiling someone, but they're the same type of people and you know what I'm talking about that, There'll be a line of 10 people and they're buying their, their big lotto tickets and then all the scratch offs and everything else just holding up the line. That drives me crazy. But hey, you know what? They're entitled to do that. So that's their business, not mine. But yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a certain certain type of, uh, of person, no doubt. I was wondering how and who you were going to offend at that point. But really, you're offending people who hold up the line at convenience stores. So I'm totally good with it. I think the show is safe. I don't think we have to worry about anybody coming by or anything But when I think about the lottery, and you mentioned a couple of things that you would do, most people start with, I'd quit my job. And it's funny because I don't think I'd quit my job right away because I don't like not having anything to do. Like I went through that fun employment when I was trying to find a job and when I was in between jobs before I got the job that I have. And it was cool for a little bit, but then you just are itching to be doing something productive. Like it sounds great to just be doing nothing, but then you need to do something. And I would need a little bit of time to kind of figure out what that was. And then after that, I would want to be doing something meaningful. And the thing is, is you have a bullshit level that's a lot lower than it was. So like you go into your job now and if you have some transition, it wouldn't take nearly as much as it normally would for me to be like, I'm out, I quit, like I'm done. But I think I'd want to have things set up first so that I could easily go into doing something like coaching or hell, like you said, build a studio so we could be doing this and you could be flying in here. I'll be flying in there. We wouldn't have to worry about it. And like, yeah, go ahead. Just go ahead. I'll take I'll take the jet. Yeah, exactly. And you're right. You definitely would walk into your place of work with a much a much shorter bullshit meter and, and just with confidence. Right. And, and the fact of. Whatever decision you make, like you don't care who you piss off, uh, you would probably be much more honest with people than you normally are about how you're feeling about different situations. And I, I, that's one thing when it comes to winning the lottery, I guarantee you that specific situation is something that people dream about. Not so much the money to be able to quit their job, but to be able to walk into their job the next day and tell everybody how they really feel or whatever. Or just wait for that opportunity for them to like throw out the double birds and walk out the door. I'm just imagining you in a place like this and you having that moment. Now you're a petty man. We've talked about that on this show before. And I'm imagining you on day one thinking, all right, you know, I'm gonna keep things cool. Nobody needs to know anything. We're working things out. 
And then as soon as somebody that's above you and whatever food chain it is that you work in says something, that's like the first thing you say, you'd be like, you know, you know who I am? I could buy this company right now. And like, that would be you. <laughs> and then you'd be like, you know, I am going to buy it. I'm going to buy, you know, I'm going to fire you and you're, you're done. And I think that it sounds great that I would say like, I'd, I'd keep my job, but I know that on a daily basis, there are certain things that I'm like, man, I hate it here. And then I probably just would quit and then end up where I am. But I don't know. I think it would be fun to take care of people though. Like not in the sense of people coming to you and begging you for things, but knowing that my kids are set up, being able to help out people in need maybe. And we talked about that last week. Like I have something and how, how would I treat you if I didn't have something? Like I'm not, I'm not gonna treat you any different. I'd love to be able to help people out. And I think that was actually a great message that you spoke to very eloquently last week. And to me, it was a focal point of the episode. So if we did win the lottery, I'd like to think that we would help out some people in some capacity. Oh, of course. And I think uh, I'd be more inclined to, you know, I think a lot of times you hear people in the celebrity world or pro athlete um, world who they throw money at causes, which is good. I mean, they should, and that's great that they do. But a lot, I, I feel like there are times, or maybe it's more often than not, where it's sort of blindly donating to a certain cause without maybe any understanding of how these different organizations operate. I would like to be a more, take a more hands-on approach, I think, to a situation like that. I would like to be more maybe directly involved in what's happening, more so than just financially. But, you know, I, I'd want it to be something I felt like I was a part of and I really believed in, go about it that way. Uh, of course, there's a lot of different organizations and groups of people that need help. So it'd be tough to do that for everyone, but maybe certain ones, like I said, I, I'd like to take more of a hands-on approach to it. I mean, in addition to a financial, a financial lift, whatever it may be. So no, I, uh, I definitely would like to help people if, if that were to be the case. You know, I'd probably start obviously with the people that I know need the help closest to me and then branch out from there. I mean, do you feel like, it's kind of a loaded question, but do you feel like people who make exorbitant amounts of money have, a, have some sort of an obligation to society to give back? I personally don't because I feel that most people who get to where they are have done something to work for it. Now, there are people who are handed this or gifted this because they come from money. And I do think that there is something to be said about wanting to do things for other people. Like, I think you have an obligation to at least want to do that. But do I owe it to you because I have more than you? I don't necessarily agree with that because the reason why I have more than you may not necessarily be because I've done something right and you've done something, you know, something right and we're both in this unfortunate situation or whatever. Some people just don't make the right decisions and they continue to be bailed out and they continue to make the same mistakes. And I think that at some point we are responsible for our actions and our decisions. And so I know that there have been times when I've been able to help people and I help them without them asking me. but if somebody comes to me and says, you owe this to me because you make more than I do or whatever, to me, that's toxic. That sets up a toxic precedent. And I don't think that it's, it's great to think that somebody should do something just because they have a lot. I want them to want to do that. Because if they're doing it, like you said, where somebody is just blindly making these donations, they're not really caring about the cause. They don't really care about these people. It's all about PR and optics. So I really just want them to want more in their humanity but I can't legislate that. You know what I mean? And uh, not to go down the political rabbit hole, but I think that there's a certain portion of people in this country that do want that, right? They do feel like the wealthy has an obligation uh, to give to those that don't have and that it should be legislated to some degree and uh, at times even go as far as feeling like it's owed to them um, and they deserve it uh, in some ways. And, and that's frustrating. Obviously, there are 
many different reasons that lead people to end up in, in those types of situations. But like you said, I want to see someone who has the motivation to help themselves, right? Because that person has a greater chance at long-term success. If they are self, if they're motive, intrinsically motivated to help themselves and improve their situation, that's the type of person that I'd want to support because you know it's going somewhere where it's going to help propel them to where they're already trying to go. They just need a little bit of a, of a boost uh, to speed the process along a little bit maybe, where in other cases it's just take, take, take and really put no effort in personally. Here's what I fear about things being legislated to help. Now, I think that our government does have an obligation to find a way to help the people of this country. I don't care what side of the fence you sit on. To me, it's not a political referendum to think that people should be in a good place, that we should have equality in a lot of things, and that we should be taking care of our own. I know that it pains me every year to think about how many homeless people there are, and we're not really doing a whole lot about it in this country. And if there are people who can help that out because they want to, I think that they should. But I fear that if we're legislating this, then we're losing the whole reason why we should be helping people out in the first place. And I think that there is a happy medium somewhere. Because I make a good amount of money doesn't mean that I automatically should help out somebody who is in a poor situation. I think it is dependent on situation. I think it is dependent on what they're doing to better their cause. And a lot of times you will hear people say that people on welfare are just sucking off the teat or something like that. It's not always the case. There are people who are genuinely trying to get out of the situation and it's unfortunate because like many things in this country, the majority is not really, they're, they're the people that you hear the most about. They're these stereotypes or whatever, but it doesn't mean that that's what is actually reality. I think we're just far and away from kind of figuring all that out. And I just know that if I had a lot of money, I would make sure that I did something that meant something to me. Like INC Sports would set up kind of a charity thing. We would make sure that we're giving back to the people that matter to us. I think you'd do local work in Peoria. I think that'd be something that would definitely hit home for you, right? Helping underprivileged kids in making a sports league so that you could coach these kids and they'd have some outlet. There are a lot of ways in which you can help that you don't necessarily have to even give financially. You can give your time. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Remember when we talked about how people like to virtue signal and say like there's something wrong, but they don't want to be a part of the cause or they don't want to be part of the solution. There's a lot of ways that you can help. And winning the lottery would just give you financial flexibility to do it. But without winning the lottery, you can go help people that are in need and they don't owe you anything. They're not going to do anything for you. And it just should be something that we want to do out of the goodness of our heart. No, absolutely. And uh, and one thing, too, is I think that it's just going to sound critical, but it, it I think it's just reality. Right. And there is something there is something self-serving in a way about helping others. Right. Yes. The people who help others, they do it because they want to help someone in whatever the situation is. I'm talking whether it's working at a, a food bank or going and delivering meals to the elderly or the homeless around the holidays or volunteering for a youth sports league or some sort of youth group. Um, obviously, these people want to help, but at the same time, like another reason they're doing it is because it does make them feel good, right? It is, it is in a way still a self-serving mission, but at the same time, I don't think that makes it any worse, right? Um, I don't think you'd want people doing that kind of work that don't take some sort of joy from it. <laughs> you know, I mean, that might be kind of awkward if uh, you force people who hate helping others to help others. Now, you could say there could be a lesson to be learned there. But, um, you know, I do think it's sort of an interesting, I don't know if you want to call it an anomaly or whatever, where you are being selfless, but there is still a selfish element to it in the terms of 
it makes you feel good about uh, helping and giving to others. To bring it back to sports, though, we see this a lot with professional sports players where they are contractually obligated to do charity work or contractually obligated to show up to some charity benefit or what have you. And there are some athletes who just flat out don't do any. Now, I do feel like as an athlete, and we're talking about athletes specifically, not only do they have financial flexibility, but they have a platform. People know who they are. They're recognizable. And even though we say that you shouldn't do this, there are kids specifically that look up to them that could benefit. And I'm talking about Make-A-Wish Foundation. You know, John Cena has done more Make-A-Wish grants or whatever it is than almost any celebrity that's ever participated in Make-A-Wish. And it honestly is easy for him to make that happen. And it's really a split second in the lifespan of these kids, and these kids are probably going to die. And for him to go there, he wants to do it. He doesn't do it because he wants the PR from it. He wanted WWE not to talk about it. And I wish a lot more athletes would take their platform more seriously. I don't care if they donate money, but I think that them going out and helping out underprivileged folks or helping out their communities, I mean, say what you will about what we owe people as far as what we make, but when you work in a community, like if you're a Boston Red Sox, you represent that city. And there's a lot of things that you can do to help out that city. The fans are coming to see you. And even though we know that fans are toxic, there aren't all toxic fans. So I always want athletes to do more in that regard. And I really dislike it when you know that an athlete is doing it because they're contractually obligated to do it. You can just tell. I've been to a couple of Phillies fan fests and you meet some of these guys and you can tell they do not want to be there. They're not nice to the fans, and maybe they're having a bad day that particular day, but you can tell they've been told by the club, you have to be at this. And I really wish that was different because, again, you have a different platform. People recognize you, and you could do a lot of good by just being nice to someone. It doesn't even have to be complicated. Yeah, I agree, and it is, it's going to sound contradictory because I do say that as fans, we should not, we should not expect much from these people uh, we should not look to them uh, as as role models and things like that, because first and foremost, that's not their job. At the same time, personally, I do like to see those who make an effort to get involved in their communities. Right. I do like to see and not just financially, but that are out there, you know, hands on getting involved. And you can tell have a, a real passion for it. And that, and really, that's the ones you never hear about, like John Cena, like you mentioned, where. You know, they, they don't call the news station and say, hey, bring the cameras down here. You know, I'm giving some kids some clothes or whatever. And, you know, so that's those are people that are doing the right thing. And these are people, though, I would say, and this this is where I kind of separate it from us having expectations of, of pro athletes. These are people who would probably be trying to do these types of things, whether they had the means or not. You know, like, you know, they're not just doing it because they have millions of dollars. Like they're doing it because it's something that they are motivated as a human being to do, to help others and give to others. And, and they would probably still be doing something along those lines, just on a lesser scale financially because of their situation. If they happen to be a factory worker instead of um, a professional wrestler or professional football player, um, they're, they're good human beings. They were good human beings before they were professional athletes. I think that often as fans, we make the mistake of assuming since they're a professional athlete that they're also a good human being, which is Certainly not always the case. Oh, I do not have that belief anymore. That whole, my cynicism, I'm, I'm way too cynical about these people, but we ended up spending a lot of time talking about the lottery, but I think it brought out some more heavier topics. We're trying to keep it light this week. What do you say we talk about some sports? 
Yeah, I mean, I guess if that's what you want to talk about, we can. Sure. So a group of people that is apparently in need of charity, and I'm not sure if you've been keeping up with this, is the running back position in the NFL. Have you been keeping up a little bit with what's been going on with this poor position? A little bit, yes. Um, I, I personally, I, I try not to get myself caught up in these contract negotiations, holdouts, whatever, because it's millionaires arguing over millions of dollars. And um, But it, it has been very fascinating for sure. It's fascinating to me because it seems as if high prominent people at that position are sort of colluding with themselves because they they can't figure out what's going on. And these are big name people who have not been signed to the contracts that they think that they have earned at this point. And apparently there was some kind of a Zoom call recently for them to figure out what are we going to do, which I kind of found laughable because I'm thinking there's nothing you can do. But I want to ask you something, and this position has become more and more devalued over time. 30 years ago, Emmett Smith was the most valuable player in the league because that was the league at that point. Troy Aikman famously has less career touchdown passes than Ryan Fitzpatrick. That is a symbol of how the league has changed. But now your feature backs are just not something that offenses are focusing on. And as a matter of fact, from a financial standpoint, you could make the argument that they're a liability. There have been contracts that have come up and gone and you've not gotten value out of it. I think of Ezekiel Elliott first and foremost when I think about that. He got $98 million and was he really worth it? And this is just where the NFL is headed, but I've seen two paths on this. I've seen people say that this is the evolution of the sport and also I've seen people say that this is not a good evolution of the sport. Wanted to get your thoughts on which kind of camp you fall in. Well, it's the evolution of the sport and it's kind of twofold. One is that I think offenses or, you know, offense and football has evolved over time into more of a pass first mentality. On the other hand, I think that you have seen people realize the lack of, oh, what do you want to call it? The lack of durability maybe that exists and lack of certainty that exists with keeping these uh, running backs healthy for a long period of time. And we, we just haven't seen very many people in the last 20 years. There have been a few here and there, but we haven't seen very many people just be sustainably sustainably play at a high level, stay healthy for 10 years. You know, it just doesn't really happen. And I understand you could argue, well, that doesn't maybe happen in other positions either. And, and you wouldn't be wrong, but those positions, you know, the, the right guard isn't making running back money either. I just think, you know, that's a lot of money to put into somebody and I think another thing that's impacted it is you you have more better players. I mean, just the the talent pool has grown. And sure, there's a few that kind of stick out at the top, you know, but I think that it's just a deeper, it's a deeper position in terms of talent. And it, it, the way they play the game now, the way offenses are structured, it's it's easier to find people who can fulfill a role. And, and we have, we've evolved away from the bell cow running back into like a running back by committee approach. So, and I don't, you know, instead of paying one running back, 10, $20 million, whatever they're paying these guys, you know, we're going to pay three guys. We're going to take that money and split it amongst three guys. You know, we've got our power back. We've got our, our back that can catch the ball, the backfield. We got the other guy. That's maybe like your, your quick shifty guy. And that's what you see as a lot of teams structured that way. It's just, I mean, I look at it just from a numbers perspective, financially, that makes sense. Like, okay, well, if we had one guy that we were giving the ball to 80% of the time and paying him this much money, but now we are splitting this amongst three guys. Like in my mind, it's like you have an X, X amount of dollars allocated for the running back position. You know, if you're going to divide that theoretically amongst the workload, it only makes sense that they're all going to make less 
I get why they're upset about it. But at the same time, like, I, I feel like there's a lot of very data-driven reasons why we have gotten to this point. You bring up an excellent point. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the evolution of sports media. And I think that in football specifically, we did an episode last year about analytics and how we felt if analytics were a good complementary piece to your gut. Like, you take the data, you take the game situation, and you try to figure it out based off of your expertise, looking at the numbers and all of that. It's not just one or the other. But data-driven decision-making and data-driven analysis has become really the forefront of football anal- of football analysis on ESPN and on Fox and everywhere. And that's what ESPN is hiring a lot of, or people like Mina Kimes, who is excellent, and she's looking at a lot of different factors, and she has great analysis. And I think what has happened is that analysis has bled into the front offices of these teams, and they're looking at it from a business perspective. And you brought it up earlier. It's a high injury, high risk position. And that's because it probably is the most susceptible because it's the most used position. If you think about how much of a grind it is to be a running back, it's not easy. And what teams have done is try to front load that by getting as many carries as possible out of a guy. And this is what 10 years ago. Look at Todd Gurley, ran him into the ground, got a degenerative knee injury. They gave him the big contract, but he never really was useful after that. And I think what teams are doing and looking at is, okay, what's happening is these running backs are coming up after their usefulness. And I'm not saying that guys are not useful after a certain point, but at the kind of money that we're talking about or the kind of money that they're looking for from a business perspective with a salary cap and a 53-man roster, there's no way that you're going to pay a guy after he's had all this damage. And that's talking about high school, talking about college, and years at the professional level. By that point, how many more years could they have left? And you're right, there's nothing that they can really do for themselves outside of continuing to perform and let the market figure out what they're worth. And I don't think that it's a moral obligation for teams to pay them because of how much they use them. If you're running back, you sign up for this. This is what football is all about. This is not ballet. And I just find it all very interesting about how we're supposed to feel bad for these folks when it's not as if they haven't been paid already. You're right. And it's sort of, there's a lot of parallels between this and just the evolution of technology in general. Like these football franchises have found a way to be more efficient, right? They found a way to be more efficient, get the most out of the running back position for the least amount of money, right? And that's their job as a business. And that's how they're going to function. I, again, totally understand them being pissed about it. Totally understand them trying to fight for it. I just don't think that there's anything that they can do about it. And I wasn't going to not play. You know, I guarantee you there's plenty of guys that are w- would take the lesser money and still play. So uh, unless they're going to get every running back to hold out, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it, it's just not going to happen. You know, if I were them, man, like, I'd be pissed at the quarterbacks, right? They're the ones taking all the money, man. Like, and that's, and, and I, I said this a while back, I see, I see the quarterback, like, we're a ways away, but I feel like the quarterback position is going to evolve similarly to how the running back position has. I think that we've seen too many backups in the last few years plug in and be really successful. I think we're getting to a point. Yeah, you have the special ones. You have the Patrick Mahomes of the world, those guys that are very elite and unique. But I think that some of these offenses, again, are becoming structured to the point where it's sort of becoming plug and play, right? It's more about the system than it is the the athlete. I think it's going to take some time to really see if there's any truth to what I'm saying. But I I could see it evolving in a similar way over time. 
is that a pick of the week? You're going to wait and see for about a decade or, or so before you see if quarterbacks are becoming the new running backs. But quarterbacks, though, you, you do bring up a fascinating point. I don't know if I agree with you on quarterbacks skill set wise becoming sort of a dime a dozen the way that running backs are. But I think financially, when you see these contracts going up and up and up, I wonder when the financial system is going to break and they're not going to be able to afford signing these guys. Because at some point, I think that you are going to be hamstrung by a contract that is so large. And if we're already doing that for running backs and running backs aren't making nearly what quarterbacks are making, but I think it's that me first mentality of a lot of players. And I'm not telling them that they shouldn't do that. You need to go out and get your money. Football is a violent sport. You need to go out and secure that generational wealth however you can. I'm not blaming them for it at all. But I think that teams are going to look at this financially and they're not going to be able to hold serve on this. So running backs, we already feel like we're overpaying them. The amount of money that we have given them for not a whole lot of production. Like if you look at Zeke Elliott, would you say that the Cowboys got their money's worth out of that contract after they signed him to that big extension? No, no, no. Todd Gurley didn't even play in a Super Bowl after they had signed him to a big contract. Done. Remember DeMarco Murray? The Cowboys ran him into the ground. He went to Philadelphia. wasn't the same guy. We could sit here and list countless running backs that have had this happen to them. And this is in the last 10 years or so. The game has changed so much. But I think financially is where you want to look at it. I don't know what's going to happen. Certain positions are being paid more because they've become more important on the field. And will that change? How will that evolve? Like, what's going to happen? Are, are teams that can't afford to pay a Mahomes or a Herbert just signed today? Are they going to do the Brock Purdy method and hope that they get lucky that they can get a guy in the fifth, sixth round who can basically manage the offense to an NFC or AFC championship game? That's what you're talking about. And that may happen because financially teams just can't keep up. And is football going to turn into baseball, even with a salary cap? Is that what's going to happen? I think it may. Well, and one thing about running backs that is, um, it, it, you could make an argument for all positions, but I feel like specifically running back, your success is reliant upon other members at offense being good. You have to have a good offensive line. You can't do it by yourself. Now, of course, if there's not a good offensive line, the quarterback's going to be running for his life. I mean, we've seen, you know, we saw what happened to Andrew Luck, right, in Indianapolis. I mean, he took a beating, and he was one of the most elite talents we've seen in a long time. So, uh, but still, at the quarterback position, that elite talent is still enough to overcome some of that and make a team a playoff team. Now, not a championship team, but it's still enough to make a team a playoff team, even, even if the offensive line is shitty. To where if you're running back and you have a terrible offensive line, I mean, you're SOL, man. Like, you, there's nothing you can do. So um, you can't make your own, you can't generate your own offense where a quarterback has the ability to do that a little bit, uh, which I do think is different. And the way that teams, I think, are affording to pay more for these quarterbacks, as you mentioned earlier, is they're paying running backs less. They're going to eventually start paying other positions less to free up money to pay the quarterback. You know, I do think it, it may, you know, we're kind of seeing which it's, it's been, this isn't new, but we're seeing Moneyball, right, make its way into football and really start to kind of take over the way things are ran, structured. You know that theory that after a while in a conversation, Nazis will come up like it's that theory that, that it's going to happen. I feel like for you, it's Moneyball. That seems to be your thing that you love to bring up and that inserting Moneyball somewhere. I'm kind of here for it, man. I'd love to know. I'd love to hear or read a book by you about Moneyball in football because I think it's, a little bit more interesting. Baseball, there's so many stats that they can they can look at. And in football, I what would that look like? 
I don't know, man. I, I'm not sure. And maybe I just use that term because I don't know what else to call it. I mean, I, really all it is is adding a financial element to analytics, right? I mean, that's essentially what Moneyball, the concept of Moneyball is in a way. You know, you're buying, you know, in baseball, you're buying runs, right? In football, I, I'm sure you could break it down to, I mean, I don't know if you want to say you're buying yards, you're buying touchdowns, uh, but I'm sure there are people way smarter than both of us that are they're already doing this and using this data to, determine what players are worth paying, what what a different position is valued at, and probably finding value in players who the general public or the league doesn't place value on. It's, I mean, I think the Patriots kind of made a living doing that for, for a little while. Yeah, the Patriots wouldn't pay anybody, and they seem to be successful. But I was hoping you didn't have an answer to that, because quite frankly, this is why people listen to the show or watch the show. They listen to us banter about stuff that we know next to nothing about. But you know what? We have a damn good time doing it. So I want to ask you about one more thing, and this has been a football-centric episode after the lottery, but the Washington Commanders finally sold. I know we talked about it when the news broke that they were potentially going to be sold, but now they finally have sold. And you told me that apparently, and by the way, a part of this ownership group is Magic Johnson. He seems to be a part of like every ownership group now. It must be nice to be him. He doesn't need to win the lottery, by the way, but according to this group, they may think about changing the name. Now, they just changed to the Commanders. I think it was last year was their first year, maybe two years. I can't even remember. It's been crappy regardless. They were the football team, and before that, they had a long storied history of a name that you could argue shouldn't have been changed, but whatever, we're not here to argue that. And now they're talking about maybe changing it. I have to ask you, though, and it's not about the Commanders, but do you think that things like a uniform or a team name actually has something to do with how successful they are? Because I do. I don't. I don't think it has any, anything to do with how successful they are. The pettiness of me embraces one of the reasons, I, or maybe the, the primary reason why they're talking about doing this, and that's to dissociate any any attachment to Daniel Snyder possible. By changing the name, it would be basically removing his, whatever may be left of any legacy he could lay claim to. Uh, other than that, I don't see, I'm a fan of the original name. I would go back to that in a heartbeat. Other than that, I, I don't, I don't think that uniforms or mascots translates into victories. I do. And I'm going to make an argument here. And I'm, I guess it's really applicable. Well, no, it's applicable to any team. When the New York Jets changed their uniforms to what they're currently wearing now from that old, the 60s. Remember that look that they had for a while when Mark Sanchez was their quarterback? Great look. Yeah, it was a classic look. And they went to these uniforms that reminded you of the 90s Jets. Did anything that happened in the 90s outside of maybe like one or two years with Bill Parcells make you think that the Jets were anywhere close to being a Super Bowl contender? No. And why would you do that? Look at their success or lack thereof. Look at the Commanders. They really messed it up. The Commanders is a name that nobody in this town likes. Nobody likes it. The uniforms stink. And it was indicative of terrible organizational management. And they didn't win on the field. I think that it 100% has a lot to do, or at least is indicative of how terrible a front office is. I hate to bring this close to home, but did you see those Indianapolis Colts alternate jerseys that they came out with? They look like Duke University. So I, I didn't see them. When I was, uh, I was recording the episode of Fan to Fan last night with Drew, who's also a Colts fan, and he asked me, he brought it up. He said these horrendous uniforms, and I hadn't seen them. I still haven't seen them, so I'll have to look them up. But he... He said they're really terrible. They're awful. They are awful. They are widely panned. And you know what? The Colts have a great, great uniform scheme. They don't need to do anything to them. 
Is it a is it just like a an alternate or is this going to be the new uniform? Do you know? Thankfully, it's an alternate. A lot of what is being announced now are alternates because the helmet rule went out of effect, I think, last season. So now teams can have more than one helmet. There was a helmet rule that teams can only have one helmet, which is absurd. It's a professional sports league. Let's have a little bit of fun here. That's why the Patriots were able to bring Pat the Patriot back and so forth. And I think the Buccaneers are bringing back the creamsicle jerseys, which are going to be a lot of fun, right? It's a throwback. And the Colts just completely messed it up. A lot of teams are coming out with things. The Broncos are bringing back the old D logo from the 90s or the 70s, 80s, and 90s, but it's on a white helmet, and that seems to be a popular thing, the white tiger stripe helmet for the Bengals, which is actually a cool look for them. But I just think it's indicative when you see that they can't get that right, when they can't even get the uniforms right. I mean, you have people, you pay people to get this right. And so if you can't even get the uniform and the name correct and you're unsure about it, how the hell are you going to get the product on the field to be good? Just my opinion. Uh, that's a good point. I didn't think about it that way. That's a good point. At the end of the day, I don't think the players that are on the field, you know, um, give a crap. But I get what you're saying from an organizational standpoint. If, if you don't have your shit together when it comes to things like that, how do you have your shit together when it applies to uh, what's happening on the field? Um, I'm here. I love throwback uniforms. But I, I do think it's funny, though, that everybody gets all nostalgic about some of these uniforms that, at the time, most people thought were terrible in some cases. You know, there's different ones. But it's just so funny how something being 20 or 30 years old makes it cool again. You know, I mean, it's 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 really neat. And I mean, I like it. I'm here for it. I, I've seen a lot of the throwbacks popping up. You know, the creamsicles are classic. Pat Patriot. Uh, you know, Denver, you know, they go with the orange and blue like they had back. The, the orange and like the royal blue. And uh, I saw the Seahawks were going back to like, you know, they pulled out the throwback for the old 90s style uniforms. So I think that's cool. But if you're saying that there's ties to different decades or periods of time and success, so like like you referred to with the Jets, there's some of these teams that might want to whip out the leather helmets again. Then if that's the case, if they're trying to channel some old success, you know, I don't know, like the Cowboys might need to bust out like the old Reebok shoes from the 90s or something and uh, the big bulky shoulder pads and everything else, steroids, the whole bit, neck rolls. Let's see it. Yeah, but you've noticed, though, that that's like the one decade we don't touch when it comes to retros. It's always like old ones. The creamsicle ones were terrible in their 80s rendition of them. But I think what makes people excited now is when you pull something forward and we actually can add a more modern aesthetic to it. And I think that that does allow for something that's a little bit more fun. I'm not advocating for these jerseys to be their primaries. I think a lot of teams have terrible primaries already. They might need to go back to the drawing board. There's a lot of classic looks. I don't want to see anything other than what the Packers are bringing to the table. That's a classic look. Don't ever change it. Even the Browns to an extent. The Browns, even though this iteration of it is not the oldest franchise, it's one of the oldest franchises in terms of the name and the history, keep the iconic look. Orange and brown together are terrible, but you know what? It's a unique kind of terrible. Just keep it rolling. And I just wondered about that because I saw the commanders changing their name and you're right, it is to disassociate from Daniel Snyder, but if they don't get it right, then I don't have a lot of hope for their future. But man, could there be anything less useful than reports from training camp right now? No, but we're all football addicts, uh, some of us more so than others. And we're here for any little nuggets of information that we could get. You know, we're just, as fans, we're all out here. Just inject it into our veins, please. We're so desperate for any semblance of football and the, the sign that the season is upon us that any little tidbit of information that trickles out of training camps like 
you know, this is the Tuesday. Tomorrow at Notre Dame, uh, they open their fall camp tomorrow for the season. They get to start a week earlier than others because they're playing week zero in Ireland against Navy. So uh, they get to start earlier with their with their training camp. So I'm excited for that. And yeah, I'm going to be a degenerate tomorrow afternoon. There's a, there's a Notre Dame podcast that I follow closely and they, they've got a little bit of access. And so they'll have reports on, you know, practice and stuff tomorrow afternoon, I'm sure. And, and I'll be taking it all in like the, the degenerate that I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know football rules everything. You know what? Let's move on. Iceman stat of the week, part of our weekly ritual where Coach and I have our own little personal flair on the show. As always, we start with Iceman stat of the week. I assume that you are, but I'm going to ask you like I do always. Coach, are you ready for a good stat this week? I don't know. I guess. Uh, No, man, of course. I always look forward to these stats. Give it to me. So I'm actually going to give credit here because I think that this stat is so outrageous that this person needs to be given credit because they had to spend a lot of time to put this together. So. Thomas Carreri, I'm not even sure if I'm pronouncing that right. I'm sure somebody will tell me how bad it is on Twitter, had this crazy fact about Major League Baseball, and you might have seen it. There has been 147 years of Major League Baseball play, and over that time period, there have been 23,000 players who have played in a professional baseball game. To put that into perspective, the smallest stadium by capacity, I still call it Jacobs Field, but it's Progressive Field in Cleveland, holds 37,830 people. So that means that every single player that is put on a uniform from 1876 to 2023 would only fill 61% of that stadium. Tells you how rare it is to be a major leaguer. That's nuts. Uh, you know, I think we always see stats out there like how rare it is to become a Division One athlete and uh, how rare it is to be pro. But like to have it put over the entire history of our oldest professional sport is is insane. And that's... You know, granted, maybe smaller rosters. Not not really, though. I mean, those are still decent roster sizes. You know, because I was thinking smaller, but hell, basketball roster is even smaller than a baseball roster. Uh, obviously not as big as a football roster. Whatever, I digress. But I think that it's uh, that's super fascinating. I would have guessed, if you would have told me, like, how many stadiums do you think could be filled with everyone that's ever played in a professional baseball game? I probably would have named, like, I would have been, like, seven total stadiums, like, of people or something. I would have not even been close. 23,000 feels low. And that's why I, I, again, this person took the time to calculate this. I wish I knew a little bit more of the context about how he did this. What were the criteria? Did it not involve the Negro leagues and other leagues like that, that have now been recognized by Major League Baseball? I don't know. But it's just fascinating to think that all the players from 1876 to now that have put on a Major League Baseball uniform, they wouldn't even fill one stadium in the league. And I think that that is a good thing because there are a lot of people, a lot of parents who are trying to get their kids to play professional sports. It's not easy. And that's the whole point of that stat. It was just, it was staggering to me. And I wanted a plug to be able to say Jacob's Field like the old fart that I am. Well, if you're a parent and your goal with your child is to turn them into a professional athlete, you suck. You are the problem. Walk into your bathroom right now, look in the mirror, sing the Taylor Swift song. It's me. I'm the problem. It's me. Say it and then leave your child alone because you are an idiot. Sound the trumpets. (laughs) 
Oh, and it's time for Coach's Pick of the Week. The losing streak continues. It has now reached 10 games in a row. Honestly, when we came up with this segment, I never in my wildest dreams thought that you would have a streak of this magnitude. But here we are. So you picked Brooks Kepka to win the Open, and let me tell you, he did not. However, we did text each other on Friday because we thought, what if Brooks doesn't make the cut? At that point, he was two under. By the time I checked it on Saturday, he was four over. The winner, I think, was 13 under. So Brooksy did not get it done, even though you said all he does is win majors. So we are now going to try to get off the schneid again and avoid being two and 12. So coach, please bless us with another hopefully shitty pick of the week. Uh, hear ye, hear ye, Iceman. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. I got to tell you guys, you have no idea how it feels to be so ice cold. It is wonderful this time of year in the oppressive Midwest summer that I'm currently a part of. So I will take it. I'm embracing it. And um, I do think that we stand a chance at uh, me returning to my winning ways this week. And we're you know, we have the Women's World Cup going on right now. So we're going to go to the pitch, right? An area that I'm very well versed, especially on the women's side. Um, we have a match that's taking place early Saturday morning between the countries of France and Brazil. Uh, it's a pretty evenly contested match from the, uh, from the way the odds appear. Uh, both teams have already played a game with Brazil earning a victory and France earned a draw. I here to get back to my winning ways. I am taking our friends from South America, Brazil, to win against France in the Women's World Cup this Saturday. Brazil over France in the Women's World Cup. Man, that is fun. That's a fun pick. And every week I hope that it's going to be the one. This would be a great one because after our incredibly informed messy video, this, this would be the sport that you should get yourself off the schneid with. So coach, as always, I wish you well. So let it be written, so let it be done. All right, and we have reached the end of the show already. I want to remind everybody, if you have an opinion on anything that we have talked about, or if you won the lottery and would like to stake us on a new studio, the number to do that is 703-718-6314. If you want to call or text the show to let us know of your winnings or just give us an opinion, and the other thing that we have going on is in about a month, the college football season is starting. And we've talked about the fact that we do have some things in the works. And we are happy to announce now that starting on that very first Saturday of the college football season at 9 a.m., you are going to see INC's college kickoff. And we are calling it the show before the show because we want to be there for you early in the morning on college football Saturday to lead you into what is definitely a better product in college game day. But that is our big announcement for this week. And by the way, you did bury the lead a little bit. You talked about fan to fan. So why don't you give the listeners a little bit of a taste of what we have to come very, very soon from you? Yeah, so um, doing a little thing, part of INC Sports, fan to fan. And uh, for me, it's really, I, personally in my life, I enjoy talking to people about the things that they are passionate about. I, I just, I really love seeing people light up talking about things they really enjoy. And what better thing to do that than with sports. So I'm going to be bringing different people on just, I mean, and maybe we get into some more well-known people eventually, but for the most part, they're going to be regular Joes like you and I coming on to talk about their fandom. And, and that's what I really want to dive into. You know, what teams are you a fan of? Why are you a fan of them? 
you know, how has that impacted your life? What's special? You know, you guys have heard here about like my personal ties to to Bradley basketball and how it's been kind of ingrained as part of my my family and my relationship with my dad. You know, those are stories I'm wanting to hear from other people. So if you're hearing this and you're out there and, you know, you're interested in coming on and talking about your fandom, uh, hit me up because as we say, you know, we hear about talking man to man, but I'm here to talk fan to fan. And I want to know uh, kind of what makes you tick as a sports fan. And um, yeah, we have a new episode that'll be coming out here uh, probably in the next week or so. Uh, I was joined by an ex, uh, ex-football ex player of mine, Drew Clark, who a uh, big soccer aficionado has been a, a big part of the local uh, soccer club in Peoria, their supporters group, the 309. So uh, make sure you take a listen to that. That's very interesting. He's doing really great things uh, to help the soccer club. And we talked about like charitable stuff. He's gotten his supporters group involved in some charitable things in the community. So it's it's good stuff. So again, fan to fan, reach out, get involved. Um, really excited about it. And this is all part of the plan, all part of us building out the INC sports model with as much content as we can to give you a different feel and a different flair to the sporting world. There's a lot of things that happen that we can't get to in this hour. And we're trying to build this out with more voices, more faces, more perspectives. And honestly, it's been happening a lot faster than I thought that it would, but to very large success. And I'm very happy for you. I can't wait to listen to it. And I know the listeners will too. It's very exciting. And so we have a lot of things coming up. We're going to be recording with somebody next week. We'll make that announcement next week as that episode comes out. But you want a college football fix, that's going to be the episode for you to check out. We will give you more details as it comes along. Before we get out of here, though, Coach, do you have any parting words for our listeners? I'm just excited, uh, excited for what lies ahead in the future for us as INC Sports. And I'm excited for Saturday for me to solidify my expertise um, as a soccer aficionado and prognosticator. So looking forward to that and um, hope everybody enjoys the rest of their week in the weekend. I love it, man. And don't forget, before we get you out of here, do not forget to support the Pub Time Podcast wherever it is that you find that your podcast. If you want to follow us on TikTok, at INC Sports is the new handle, despite what the scroll bar says down there. We are changing things over, so forgive us. We're a little bit clunky. You can support the Matty S Media Network. Unfortunately, the website is down. It's under construction, but the Matty S Media Network is alive and well. Please support that wherever it is that you find your podcast. If you're listening on Apple and Spotify, you can hit follow, you can hit rate and give us some stars. And if you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to hit like and subscribe. As always, it's not mandatory, but it is very helpful. For me and Coach, I hope this finds you well. I hope this finds you safe. As always, this is Iceman and Coach. The opinions and viewpoints expressed on INC Sports are those of Matt Freights, Brad Powell, and their guests, and not necessarily those of the Matty S Media Network. INC Sports is exclusively owned by Matt Freights and Brad Powell and is brought to you by the Matty Ice Media Network.